Isaiah 63. Lord, we just thank you that we have this opportunity to come before you and listen to your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we examine it. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this that comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore are you red in your apparel and your garments like him that treads in the wine vat? I have trodden the winepress alone in the people... And of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. And For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. I looked, and there was none to help. I wondered, and there was none to uphold. Therefore my own arm did bring salvation unto me, and my fury had upheld me. I will tread down the people in my anger and make them dr drunk in my fury. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. This is one that is kind of interesting because I was wondering when I read this is who the who is. Because it doesn't sound like God. Number one, it comes out of Eden, so it's not Jesus. Because Eden is southeast of, of Palestine. So it's not, it's not Jesus. It's not God because of where he's coming out of. Uh, some of the commentators said that it was Judas Maccabees, but I don't remember, my history, remembrance of history, he didn't come from Edom either. So the who, we don't know. We do not know who this who is. It's an enemy, an enemy toward God. Uh, and it says, who is this that comes out of Eden with dyed garments from Bezrah? Bezrah. Dyed is dyed red, all right, with red dyed garments. And, you know, when I look this up, garments could literally be treachery, with, with red dyed treachery, somebody who's treacherous. I have kind of leaning to the idea that this is the Antichrist that they're talking about coming up, or at least one of the Antichrists that came up against Israel. Uh, because it's not Jesus, and it's not God, and it says that is glorious in his apparel, or adorned in, in apparel, traveling, you know, stooped over. It's literally somebody who stooped over because of his great power, and that speaks. And then it says, "I that speak righteous, to, mighty to save." All right. So he pictures this person coming in to oppose Israel. And we don't know if this is a historical individual, if it's the Antichrist, and being that it is in Jewish prophecy, it could be both. Their prophecies often had a short-term fulfillment to show that it was real, and then a long-term fulfillment. When Isaiah said, Behold, a virgin shall give birth, a young maid in the, ca in the king's castle within a very short period of time gave birth. And then we apply it to Jesus' birth, so over and over again, we see fulfillment and prophecy being twofold, an immediate type of, of fulfillment and then a long-term fulfillment. But it says, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save, to deliver. This is God. He says, you got an enemy coming? I'm ready to stand against them. I am your one ready to save. 
And this is something we were just talking about, you know, the idea of giving up our lives as martyrs. All of us want to feel like we're ready to be that, be that martyr. None of us will know until we were willing to trust God to do so. And this is interesting because we know that if we won't stand up for him today without our life being at, at stake, we are definitely not going to stand up for him when our life is, is at stake. If, they can't, if I'm not going to stand up and they're just going to make fun of me and make me, make me feel bad, there's no way I'm going to stand up when, it, when my life is, life is at stake. If we cannot stand for God and his truth today, we won't stand when our life is, is at stake. And this is why we have to always get into saying, God, what is it you want me to do and how am I going to stand in this situation? And as the world gets more and more evil, there's more and more opportunities for us to have to stand for him and say, God, I am not going to accept whatever it is we're, we're, we're being challenged to accept. God, I'm not accepting this, the lifestyle that's coming down the road. Yeah, they didn't stop at accepting homosexuality. Now we're into transgenderism and, and changing your sex and not, and not having any, you know, not even just homosexuality, but just literally every perversion you can think of is the next step. The people who would never say no to the homosexuals are not going to say no to the transgender agenda. Those of us who said no to the homosexuals are definitely going to say no to transgender, and it's going to get hard. There's going to be repercussions for doing so. And because you don't agree with them, you deserve to be punished. And this is the whole thing of what we're seeing in today's world. The, the homosexual agenda that's coming in, the Black Lives Matter agenda that's coming in, the Antifa movement that's coming in. Everybody who doesn't agree with their viewpoints needs to be wiped out. Now, and Christians really get the brunt of it because we don't accept their lifestyles. Christians have not generally tried to force people to believe the way they believe. Now, there have been bad examples. The Crusades, one thing, where they tried to go in and liberate Jerusalem. We see this happening in the rebellion and the anger that's out there aimed at Judeo-Christian values mostly. All right? Yes, some bad things have happened, but not bad enough to deserve some of what's been going on. You know, I think about Martin Luther King Jr. He was such a man that his view was he didn't want skin color to be noticed at all. His great I Have a Dream speech said he's looking forward to the day when his children could play with other children and nobody was going to notice the skin color. He would be appalled at all these, you know, extra positions set aside for blacks and for women and for minorities. That would just appall him because he wanted people to be seen as people, just as the Bible says that we're supposed to do. And the sad thing is, is we're going in this generation, we are becoming more racist, more segregated than we have ever been even in the days of segregation. And it's being done on purpose by the minorities. The minorities are segregating themselves because they feel so much abused. Uh, and the churches are even helping them. Denominations are starting Spanish churches, Chinese churches, Korean churches, you know, you know different nationality churches because somehow they can't mix with the, with the other churches out there. So we're resegregating ourselves as a church, which should be horrifying to anybody, that the churches are segregating themselves. And then our country is segregating itself you know, into different groups. 
and saying, we need more attention because we are different than everybody else. And the Bible talks about not being separated that way. All through the New Testament, there was no Greek, no Jew, no Scythian, no barbarian. You know, they listed this long list and said, you're all one. We go back to the beginning. Everybody is a son and daughter of Adam and Eve. And we're also a son and daughter of, of Noah and Mrs. Noah. All right? We all are from one family. Yes, there's different skin colors. Yes, there's different languages. But we are still all one family. And we need to treat each other that way. And yes, racism is bad. Yes, the, the things that are happening to some of these people are horrible. Some of them now are being blown out of proportion. You look at some of these things and go, no, this was not, you know, this was not racism. This, and this is the problem. Everything now is being raised through, you know, looked at through a lens of racism. Things are happening all across our country that are totally against the law and just people being violent. And part of the end times? Yes. Part of the mark of the beast coming? Yes. Part of the new world order coming? Yes. The one world government coming? Yes. Are we there yet? Not quite, but we're getting really close and things are changing. Now, I'm seeing things I never thought I would ever see in my lifetime. And kind of on one side expected it, but not really wanting it. And yet we're seeing how close are we to a one world government without cash. And for all practical purposes, we're, we're a cashless society. You're kind of looked funny at if you try to spend money, especially right now. Right now with the pandemic, you try to use money. I actually went someplace and says, please, we only take debit cards or credit cards, no cash, unless you give me this exact change. But this is what's going on in our world right now. Everybody is making up their own rules, ignoring law, and doing what they want. And it's not just the rioters. It is literally everywhere. And it's everywhere going on that people are pushing back against what's going on and not obeying law. We have our governors and, and, and mayors and supervisors all making up their own rules, most of the time in violation of the Constitution, because this is a big problem. We've got to fix it. Well, my bigger question is, why does government have to fix anything? But yet that's the accepted norm out there, an expected norm. Government must fix our problems. Why? Because that's what we have trained our kids for almost 40, 50 years to think. And the fruit of it is, government, you're not doing anything. And this is where we're at. Our government, our civilization is falling apart because we're looking for somebody else to fix our problems. And that's not just us. It's the world all, all around the world. And here we're seeing a rise in somebody coming up against people against God's people. And it says, I am mighty to save. The, second, the last part of that is God speaking. I am mighty to save. I, to speak righteousness, am mighty to save. God is always out there. He is mighty to save. When we are going through a hard time, when things are bad on us, God is mighty to save. And we need to really grab hold of that. Where is our salvation truly from? God. Government is never going to save us. People are never going to save us. Mom and dad are not going to save us. We need to look to God to be our Savior. 
And the more we realize that, the better off we're going to be. My, you know, I will vote. I vote all the time. But I do not look at these guys as being my savior. You know, most of them are lying to me when they tell me they want my vote. You know, I vote for them in good conscience, thinking that they're telling me the truth, and then they turn around and do something totally different than what they said. I'm getting used to it. Almost to the point where I don't even want to vote, but then that means I have no chance of voting and getting good government out of the deal. But you know, God is the one who's going to save. Which is why repentance becomes the only thing that is going to save this country and this world. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and repent, I will deliver, God says. It starts with God's people repenting, humbling ourselves. You know, and it's kind of interesting. You read the great prayers in the Bible, Nehemiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, even Isaiah. They all come and confess the nation's sins as if they were their own. All of them. Why? Because they're in that nation. And they're going, God, forgive us our sins. And most of what's happening in our world is because Christians have sat back and done little to nothing. We have churches that no longer will speak out that something is a sin. They accept it. Why? Because they've been coward. They will not stand up for God and, and be uh, chastised. They're afraid of the punishment that comes with it. Not all churches. There's a handful of churches that still speak the truth. And they're the ones that become the targets of all the, all the abuse. We need to be in that boat where we're going, God, help us to stand for you. Help us to be the righteous that brings salvation out there as we speak this. Then he talks about in verse 2, Wherefore are you red in your apparel and your garments like him that treads the wine in the wine vat? So again, we're back to not God, but the person who's coming in and treading over everybody, who's abusing everybody. You know, in battle, especially close hand-to-hand -hand battle, people get bloodied. There's one thing in our day and age where we shoot somebody from a mile away and not, never see the blood, never see the blood. But when you get in hand-to-hand -hand and you're in knife and pistol or bayonets, you know, or in their day, swords and, and, and spears and, and all of that, you saw the blood and you got covered in the blood. The enemy is being bloodied in this. He's causing havoc. Satan is out to cause havoc amongst God's people. And could be physical, real death, it could be emotional, soulish death, your emotions being involved and hurt, which it is mostly in America. But the time is coming where we're going to pay with our lives probably. These rioters aren't carrying who they, who they hurt in the street. They just are trying to get their goal, and if you don't agree with them, you basically deserve to get hurt. And our governments are siding with them. This is Satan's uh, attack always. Destroy all that's good. Destroy it. And we're in this place right now in our day and age. Good is being destroyed. Good is being called bad. And, and it's exactly what the scripture said. That in the end days, good would be called bad and bad would be called good. And everybody would do what was right in their own eyes. You know, and I look at that and I'm going, wow, God, are you coming today? 
I don't think it's quite yet, but you know, things are in position right now that he could come right now and the prophecies have been made true. The prophecies are true that he could come today and would not have a problem with it. Now, I still hope there was a revival, but I'm not, I get less and less sure with it with each passing day and I see how evil this world is becoming. Ra race has become an idol. You know, what, what is best for me has become an idol. And we have to be careful because we can get wrapped up into it real easy. You know, what are the idols in our life? Because we all have idols that, in our life. And, you know, I was, I was saying earlier, I, I listened to uh, Tony Evans, who was talking about how race has become an idol with people. But he also talked about how freedom is an idol for a lot of people. And I got thinking, you know, have I raised freedom to an idol? Because I had pretty closely... I'm going to do what I want to do, and nobody's going to tell me what to do because I have the freedom to do this. And I got thinking, have I raised it to an idol? And I have a feeling I did. Because I was all set. You know, county says wear masks all the time. I'm just not going to wear a mask. Yeah, and then I'm going, wow, that's not really the right attitude. There's nothing scripturally wrong with them telling me to wear a mask. I can't find anything in the Bible that says don't wear a mask. You know, uh, but it does tell me to obey the government. So, you know, and how, when can I disobey the government? When it disobeys God. And there's nothing necessarily in that statement that disobeys God. Might make me angry, might make me uncomfortable, you know, that they're telling me what to do, but there's nothing against the scripture in it. So we have to be able to look at that. What idols have we put in our life that is going to be challenged. And God is always going to challenge our idols. Always. Because he doesn't want idols in our life. And remember, an idol is anything you place above God. And we have many idols that we have put into our lives that aren't big golden statues, stone and golden statues. We need to be careful that we're not letting any idol run our life. And how easy it is for idols to come into our, into our heart. It says in verse 3, it says, I have trodden the winepress alone. So we're back to God. And it goes, okay, you, my en the enemy has, has covered themselves with the blood. They're, they're killing people. They're hurting people. It goes, I have trodden the winepress alone. And other people, there was none with me. For I tread them with my anger and I trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. And I will stain all my raiment. This one is tough. Is this God? I do believe it is. God going to battle. Going to battle and bringing death. Now, is this Jesus? I don't necessarily think so because it's not talking about his blood staining him. It's talking about their blood, the, the enemy's blood. Now, we want to think maybe Armageddon. Armageddon is a very quick battle. Everybody, the world comes up against God. He speaks, they die. Not, not much, not much uh, bloodshed there. But you know, it does also say that the blood will flow to the horse's reins when that has. So there's a lot of bloodshed in there. So it could be literally talking about the final battle. Uh, wine press often, when it's not talking about creating wine, is talking about the pressures that we have that produce uh, something, the, the fruit of the spirit, the, the love, or, or death. And so he's here saying, I am bringing people, I am pressing. You know, God brings his children 
through hard times so that he comes out of us. And that's hard for us to understand. We don't like that. God, you shouldn't be giving me such hard, hard times. He goes, yeah, but you wouldn't be producing me if I wasn't killing your flesh, wasn't killing your soul. I want my spirit to pour out of you, and until your soul and your flesh are destroyed, I won't come out of you. And you know, if we think about it, when he gives us a hard time and we go through hardship, and especially when we're successful, that's the times he comes out. And he improves our life in great ways. There's none of my hardships that I would want to turn, turn away from God because what he's made me out of those has been good. Did I enjoy them when I went through them? Absolutely not. If you're enjoying the hard times that God puts you through, there's something mentally wrong with you in the first place. But if I can be content that God is doing something to make me better, then it may look to people that I'm enjoying it. Because I'm looking and going, God, there's going to be something good out of this. And this is where we need to get to. When God brings the hard time, he puts us under pressure, we go, all right, God, I'm looking forward to the end result. Not really looking forward to the, to the pressure, but if I hide in him, I still don't even feel that pressure. Because I'm hidden in him and he takes it, as he did on the cross. This is the good news that we have. Even when everything seems to be like hell in our life, God's got a reason for it. And we can sit back and say, God, I don't understand, I don't know, but you have promised that it's going to be for good. I'm going to sit back and watch what the good is. Israel went into captivity and slavery so God could deliver them with the spoils of Egypt. Do you realize when they left Egypt, they took the entire spoils of Egypt. They were rich. They went in as a family, became slaves, and went out with the wealth of Egypt. Because they were told, go ask for, ask for, for stuff from your, from your Egyptian, uh, Egyptian uh, keepers. And they did, and they gave them chests of jewels and, and precious garments and everything. They left rich. So rich that they were able to build an, a beautiful, innate tabernacle for God with all kinds of gold utensils in it and beautiful coverings of very precious colors and everything. And God had blessed them. And they still weren't broke even after they gave God all, their, all those gifts. And I love it that the, it, Moses had to say, stop giving. You guys have given way too much. We don't need any more giving. Now, I wouldn't mind that happening in our church, that we, we could do everything that God has asked us to do, and we have to tell people, okay, stop. We don't want any more money. We're not there. We're not even close to being there. Okay, we're not broke, broke, but we're not, we're not in a place where we can do all the things that I'd love to see us do as a church. The other time when that happened in Israel was when they built the temple. And they go, okay, people, stop giving. We've got more than enough stuff to build the temple. I wouldn't mind having that situation in a church, you know, using it for God's purposes. But, you know, God brings these things out. He has a reason for the hardships we go through. He wants us to be showing him out of our lives. To do that, he crucifies the soul. And the soul does not like to be crucified. And, you know, we become a Christian and the spirit is, is made alive in us and, and God says the spirit is going to rule and the flesh, just says, the flesh and the soul just say, sure, no problem, we'll, we'll give up. I wish it was that easy. 
but it's not. God has to crucify the soul, and he disciplines the flesh to bring it into compliance. And it takes time. We need to be ready for it, because it hurts. Crucifixion hurts. And the soul does not want to be killed. It fights hard against it. And unfortunately, we give it a lot of leeway. We like to go up and take it off the cross a lot. And you know, God, I really don't like this. This hurts, so I'm going to take the soul, I'm going to take the soul off the cross and, and not let it die. Soul and the body, or soul and the spirit are always going to fight. Now the body has its own problems. It's got its own lust and its own problems. But the soul gets us in trouble more than anything else. Everybody has a body and soul. They have a spirit that is not, not alive. Born again brings that spirit to life. And now we have a battle going on. We have a spirit that is attuned to God that wants to do right. We have a soul that is sin nature wanting to do wrong. And should be, the soul should be crucified. That is the goal. My sin nature is to be crucified. And everything about that, then the spirit comes in and over, overtakes our soulless nature and changes who we are. And because the soul is who we are. It's our personality, it's our emotions, it's everything about who we are. Uh, the soul for individuals will go to heaven or hell, depending on what, what the, where they are spiritually. And the soul will end up in, in hell for those who are lost. And for those of us who are saved, God will redeem the soul and, and, give, us a, and give us our new life with a brand new soul that is purified. And now the soul and the flesh, uh, spirit are not in, in con contention because it's been glorified and it's no longer fallen. And so man is born a dichotomy, a body and soul. But God wants us to be a trinity, a three-part, body, soul, and spirit, but he wants the soul in subjection to the body, uh, the, soul, the spirit. And it takes most of our life to get that to happen. And depends on, ultimately, what are we feeding? Are we feeding our spirit or are we feeding our soul? We feed our spirit by getting into the word of God, worshiping God, uh, praying, spending time in Bible study, spending time with God, meditating on his word. We fill, we fill our soul by doing all the things that we want to do outside of God and uh, anything away from the spiritual. You know, and we've got to be careful because there's nothing necessarily wrong with doing things. All right? The idea of just being entertained and watching a little bit of TV would not be a problem. But if TV becomes your God, you've got a problem. You know, and this can be anything. Some people have made a God out of exercise. They're not, they start out wanting to get in shape. They get in shape, and now they've got to have muscles that are three times bigger than everybody else, and they have to you know, have the, the, the uh, six-pack abs and all these things, and they keep exercising, and they keep exercising, and all of a sudden, they don't have time for church, they don't have time for God, they don't have time for his word because they're too busy exercising. Family can become a god to some people. Uh, well, I'm just going to do everything for my family. We have to be careful because how easy is it to bring a God into our life other than God? Super easy because we think of idols being some statue in the corner that we bow down before. And God says, an idol is anything that takes my place. Anything. 
And so we need to be careful. We need to look at our life sometimes and say, God, have I got an idol in my life? Is there something in my life that I have placed above you? Well, God, you know, exercise is really good for me. My family is really good for me. I've got to take care of my family. And yes, those are true statements, but not to the exclusion of God. You know, but and you still can have it. You can still have, you can still have a good family. You can still have good exercise. It is something that we do have to look at our life and say, God, have I put something more important than you? you know, it can even be church. If we're going to church for the wrong reasons, we can make church an idol. Am I going to church to worship God and be in fellowship with the body of Christ, or am I going to church because I have to go? All right? Now, there is a point where we sometimes need the discipline of just going because. But if we're going be just because always, <laughs> I got to go to church, God? Yeah, I know you. it's Sunday. I got to go to church. Now, that's a good idea to go to church. For me, I'm going to be in church. So, uh, but I'm going there for the purpose of worshiping and enjoying God and his people not just because I have to make an appearance at church. And this is something we've got to be careful of. Anything can be an idol as if it becomes more important than God. And it can be godly things that become an idol. You know, God, I'm going to make an idol of my, my giving my tithe, or 20 or 30 or 40 percent, whatever it is we're giving. I'm going to make an idol. I'm, I've got to do it no matter what. I'm going to do this, and it's going to be my idol because I must do it. Now, if we're doing it to honor God as we should be, why are we doing it becomes important. You know, just the fact that I'm every day reading my Bible, praying, and I'm at church when it's open is not necessarily an idol, and it's not necessarily a good thing. It could be either way. The question comes down, why? Why am I doing it? Am I doing it to get brownie points with God? Am I doing, doing it to, to make everybody think or look at me and how good I am because I'm at church all the time? Or am I there literally to learn about God and to worship him? And as long as that's what it's about, be my guest. Make it something you're going to do. When I don't feel good, I'm coming to church. You know, unless I'm dying, I'm coming to church. Not as good with my Bible reading. I do read my Bible every day, but I'm not as good about doing it first thing in the morning. Sometimes I get up late or, or have things happen, and it's like, and on those days are the ones I hurt. Because I read the Bible later on, I'm going, oh, I needed these words today. And it's kind of too late. <laughs> but when it comes to coming to church, it's a no-brainer for me. I just do it. I need to get that way with, with prayer in the Bible. You know, the Bible is something I'm going to do. I'm going to do it eventually. might be before I go to bed, but I'm going to get it done. Uh, but, you know, how important are these things to us? Why are they important is even more important to us. Am I doing it just because I have to? Or am I doing it because I want to? And we think about this as the word of God is our food. And most of us can't go longer than a day or two without eating, without going, hey, I've got to eat. Many people can't go one day without eating. Uh, but yet, spiritually, there are many people that go days without reading the Bible without ever feeding themselves and never miss it. Which really, you know, if I miss a day, I'm going to be like, oh man, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't eat, my, my spirit didn't get fed. I want to feed my spirit more than I want to feed my flesh. I can go days without eating. I really can't go long without reading the Bible. I want to, I need to get into it. 
You know, not because it's a God. Not, okay, God, here's my, here, here's your word. I just got to get into it. You know, it's, I need, to, I need to be fed. I need the nourishment that it gives me. And God says all of this stuff. He goes, and why does God come forward out of verse 3? And verse 4 says, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. There's coming a time when God is going to move out. And it's because he has picked a day of vengeance. In this case, I do believe he's talking about the tribulation period, the redemption of the church, and the, and the millennial kingdom. There is a time when he says, my redeemed have suffered enough, and I'm bringing vengeance. Israel is going to suffer for another seven years during the tribulation period. And they're going to be the focus of that problem for three and a half of the years and probably most of the seven years they're going to be the focus of the, the attack and God says my redeemed the, the time of my redeemed is come I'm going to be the kinsman redeemer and buy my people back he's already done it a couple of times he sent them back after Babylon he sent them back in 48 you know to bring to their place they're going to be under judgment for seven years in the tribulation period, and he's going to come back and say, now is the time to redeem my people, to buy them back. They've suffered enough. And then for a thousand years, they will be the center of everything. Jesus will reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years, be bought back from all the trouble. We as Christians, we've been bought back already. Jesus on the cross bought us back from, our, from the sin market we accept him, and we are his. We are redeemed. He paid the debts. So we could go to the cross and say part of this redemption was the cross. Jesus redeemed Gentiles and said, you're mine. I'm making you mine. And this, verse, this chapter is going to talk about just that. People being gods who were not his, that he had never called. And the very end of this one, it talks about you are my children whom Abraham ignored and who Isaac did not know. Gentiles. Not part of the Jewish family that are coming in. That's us at the cross. We were redeemed at the cross. Jews can be redeemed at the cross, but the nation of Israel of, 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 of uh, Israel will be reclaimed at the end of the tribulation period by Jesus Christ's return. And he's going to go, now you are mine again. And they'll be his for a thousand years. Growing in him. Walking with him. He says in verse 4, And he looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, my own arm did bring salvation unto me, and my fury upheld me. God says, I looked around, and there was nobody, nobody there. We're not there yet. God come comes at the end days when everybody is against Israel. You know, everybody. There's the evangelist, most of them have probably died during that period. He's hiding his people away in, in uh, protection. And Satan is trying desperately to kill them. And God says, I will come forward. Nobody else is going to be there. The entire world will be against Israel. Now, Israel's had times when lots of people have been against them. There's lots of people against them today. But they're still going to always win. But they're always going to win because God's going to keep them. He's not going to let them be annihilated. And, but there is going to come this time at the end of the tribulation period where the whole 
world. There's no, no country, no individual standing up for Israel except God. And this is the beautiful thing. It's been said that if you have God on your side, you're a majority. And, I, and we need to understand that. If we are on God's side, we, won't lose. we will be a majority and we can't ultimately lose. We may lose our life and go to heaven, but that's a win. We may change the, we may change the world. The disciples changed the world. Rome, the, one of the greatest powers that ever reigned in this, in this world, was changed by the Christians. They changed everything about themselves because of the witness of Christ. Now, since then, we've kind of fallen by the wayside, but you know, we have a lot more Christians today than we had back in those days. If Christians would just get out and do what they're supposed to do, we could have a revival. We could change the world again. It is possible. Not while we're sitting back doing nothing, but when we go out and we proclaim Christ, we stand up and say, this is right, because God said it's right. We don't care if you don't think it. We don't care if you believe it. Because if you put yourself in the disciples' shoes in Rome, they were saying, killing your babies by throwing them in the river is wrong. Going out and committing a fornication in the temples is wrong. Divorcing your wife for no reason is wrong. Having adultery is wrong. Killing people just because you're stronger is wrong. And they were laughed at. They were criticized. They were, who are you to put your judgments upon us? And yet... God's truth won out. We need to get bold and be able to say, these things are wrong. Adultery's wrong. Fornication's wrong. Homosexuality's wrong. Transgenderism is wrong. You know, all of these things are wrong and stand up for it. Because God's truth is always true. Always. And it will stand. It will stand the test of time. It's going to be hammered on. It's going to be attacked. But the truth always holds out. God always has a remnant of believers. Even during the tribulation period, there will be a remnant of believers preaching the gospel message. They will pay with their lives. But there will be a remnant discussing. During the dark ages where the Catholic Church reigned and was tearing apart Christianity, there was a remnant of believers following Christ and seeking after God and his word. Very small, very, very small. Always been a remnant. All through history, there was always a remnant following God. When uh, Elijah said, I'm the only one, God says, get busy doing what you have. I've got 7,000 that haven't bent the knees. You just do what I told you to do. Don't worry about looking like you're the only one. When we feel like we're the only one standing up for God, God's going to say, no, I've got others. Don't worry about the others. They're my concern. You do what I told you to do. You stand. With God, we're a majority. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood with God, thrown in the fiery furnace, and was delivered by God. And the result was that Nebuchadnezzar says, everybody worship their God. Going from worship me to worship their God. Cyrus, uh, Darius, was, was tripped into making a law against prayer Daniel prays and stands for God. Gets thrown in the lion's den, gets delivered. What did, what did Darius say? Everybody worship, you know, forget what I said about praying to me, you all pray to, pray to, pray to Daniel's God. 
because his God is great. Over and over again, one person has made changes in nations because they stood up for God. Will we be those ones that stand up for nations? I don't know. The Bible tells us if we stand for him, he'll put us before kings and princes. Will we all get that? I don't know. But you know, I do know, I do know people that have gone in front of kings and princes and prime ministers for their stand for God. Personally, no. Not just having read about, but personally know about three people that have been able to go in front of prime ministers and presidents of other countries because they stood for God and his righteousness. What can God do with us? Don't know. Will he put us before a city council to help out with the law? Maybe. Will he put us in front of a state governor? Governor? Maybe. We don't know. That's not our goal. Our goal is just to honor God. But he rewards those who honor him. And if we read the Christian biographies, I hope that's one of the things you notice. You see these people, and where they start is us. Weak, sinners, just lucky to be, become a Christian. And then God molds their life, and they become somebody who stands out and gets to meet famous people, gets to be somebody that people want to get to know and follow. How far will we go? I don't know. But just be aware that God makes promises. If we honor him, he will lift us up. Maybe it's only in our own church. We get honored within our own church. Maybe it's our own association. I don't know, but God will bring rewards to those of us who stand for him. Now, we may also get, you're also going to get criticized. When you get lifted up by God, others are going to criticize you and try to drag you down. Sometimes, even within our own churches. Well, I don't know why you, I don't know why you think you're so special. I'm, I don't think I'm special. I'm just obeying God. Well, you know, and we'll get attacked. Be ready for it. When God moves, Satan attacks. And sometimes Satan uses other Christians to attack us. Which is really sad, but it does happen. Well, you know, those church members, they just made me feel bad. They criticized me. Well, forget about them. Look at God. Keep your eyes on God. Look at the ones who didn't criticize you. you know, because that is hard. It is hard when family attacks you. Your own personal family, the church family, other Christians who are supposed to be family, and they attack you, it makes things tough. Our job is to stay focused on God. Not easy. It is hard when you're being attacked, especially if you're attacked by somebody that you respect. And I've seen that happen. I respect somebody and they're going, you know, don't, don't like what you're doing. I think you're doing wrong. You know, and I'm going to stand up for what I believe. And it's hard when they're, when they're sniping at you. Not even on purpose. And I don't think they know, what, know that that's what's going on, but they little snipes. You know, you're not making the right decisions. And they're not quite, even quite that blunt. It's like, we think you should be doing something else. We need to stand for God, know why we're standing for him, and stand for him in spite of the opposition that we have. Now, when we do get opposition, we do need to look and say, God, am I making the right decision? Am I standing with your word? Am I standing on good, solid reasons? Or have I made an idol out of what I'm standing on? And step back if it's an idol. But if it's something that you feel is biblical and strong, stick with it. Stick with it. Because you're going to be worse off by not. Because what is sin is anything that we're don't, not doing by faith. 
If we don't do it by faith, it's sin. If I stand on God's faith, it, it, it's, it's fine. There's things that I can do or not do that others can't, you know, don't feel the same way, and that's fine. God has convicted me of what I have to do or what I can't do. And just because somebody else can do it doesn't necessarily mean it's sin for them. Just because I think it's sin and they're allowed to do it, that's between them and God. And that's what we have to come down to. God, I'm standing in front of you, not others. And I'm going to live by what you and I have agreed to. And this is why Paul was even talking. He goes, some brothers are very weak in the flesh, and, they, and they're going to be legalistic or sinful. Whichever direction, legalism is just as bad as giving into things. He goes, others understand their liberty, and there's not, there's not many things that they can't do. He goes, but don't judge each other because of it. The weak brother is not to judge the, the person who is strong and can do these things because, well, I don't know why he can do that. that that's terrible. And Paul used the example of buying meat from the, from the idols and temples. Many people looked at it and said, hey, it's, it's just meat. It was sacrificed to the God. It's, it's wonderful meat. Matter of fact, it's good meat. They took their best animals and gave it to the, gave it to the idol. Others were saying, well, no, it was offered to a God. I can't eat that. Or, worse yet, and this is one that we can all get into, hey, you're buying that meat that was offered to the idol. You're, you're, you're supporting the temple. And that's a more serious accusation. You're supporting that temple. And that one could make some, make some people think twice. All right? Because how many times do we do things that support bad things? All right? You know, and we have to think about that. You know, we have to think about that and say, God, tell me what I need to do. And then live by that. I know people in Las Vegas that won't go to any casino restaurants or anything. Why? Because the money in the casino restaurants supports the casino. So they won't even go to those restaurants. I don't have much problem, but I understand their concern. And I, and I go, okay, maybe. I, I'm, not very, I'm not convicted of it, but I understand their argument. You know, where are we? Why are we there? Why do we believe what we believe? Why do I take the stance that I take? If it's a good, strong, biblical stance that God, and I, God has impressed on me, stand on it. Whether everybody else is against you or not doesn't matter. <laughs> Stand on what God has told you as long as you have good reason. But just be careful that it's not an idol. Make sure that it is something you can say, God showed this to me in scripture. And don't take stands on things that aren't in that scriptural vein. All right? Last part of that verse. And I will tread down the people in my anger and make them drunk in my fury. I will bring down their strength to the earth. God says, I will bring judgment. You know, this is something that is very important for us to understand. When we look around us and it looks like all these sinful people are being prosperous and they're getting away with things, God will bring them down. Usually in their lifetime. If you live long enough, you'll watch these people's lives fall apart. We look at them while they're on the height of their, of their privilege and think that they're really wonderful. God will always bring them down and is probably bringing them down even while we're looking at them as having everything because they realize that they're not happy. They're not, they're not uh, at peace. They seem to have everything and we, you know, they seem to have the world as their oyster and everything is going well, it seems. But they know that it's not. 
They know that they don't have the blessings they want. They don't have the peace they want. God will always bring them down. And he will exalt his children. You may have to wait till heaven to be exalted. But even for us, in this lifetime, if we learn to be content with God, he will exalt us. And it is wonderful when he exalts. It's like, okay, God, I'm at peace. The blessing and value of just being at peace with God is wonderful. I don't need lots of money. I don't need status. I don't need anything because God has put a peace that passes understanding in my life, and it makes life really well. Now, I'm looking forward to the rewards in heaven but, and whatever he's got in place for me in heaven, but just being at peace on this world is great. And, it, and we need to be able to have that peace, and that peace comes through knowing him and trusting him that he is in charge and in control. Lord, we just thank you for this, this day. Lord, we ask you to help us to understand in, in you that you are our defender. You are the rescuer. You have everything in your hand, and you will bring judgment at the right day upon this world. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.